Welcome back to the Chim Music Show, our baseball show at TalkNorth.com, brought to you from the Aquarius Home Services Studio. Roy Smalley, former Twins great, current Twins broadcaster. Lavelle Neal, Star Tribune columnist. I'm Jim Suhan, also from the Star Tribune. Brandon Morton is our producer. And thank you to Aquarius. Thanks to everyone who listens to TalkNorth.com. Best way to listen, subscribe to your favorite podcast app. It is free. It is easy. And uh, go to TalkNorth.com to check out all the other shows. All right, so uh, last week, Lavelle and I talked a lot about the outfield, Roy, and the fact that, you know, I think in November we were thinking, okay, they're going to trade Kepler. They're going to they're going to give a lot of playing time to Kirilov, Larnick, Walner, and the other rising corner outfielders, and uh, and that's the way it's going to go. And now all of a sudden, looks like they're keeping Kepler, and I've been told they are going to keep Kepler. They went out and got Gallo. And so you have Gallo and Kepler as the logical, uh, presumptive left fielder and right fielder. Uh, both have had their offensive struggles, but both are also excellent defenders with very good arms. And, you know, last conversation I had with the Twins official, they were saying, hey, we have got a bunch of fly ball pitchers. Uh, our pitchers put the ball in play. Baseball is being played differently now than it was in 2019, where you could just slug your way to, to victory. And now they feel like they have, have the between Gallo, Buxton, Kepler, and Taylor, they feel like they have the best defensive outfield in baseball. Uh, what are your thoughts on the way this philosophy has shifted, at least uh, from our pers- perspective, during this winter? I would say that the uh, whole thing is uh, predicated on other things we've been talking about, which uh, is the fact that they started with a huge bullpen uh, um, upgrade. Uh, through, you know, get the emergence of Duran and the uh, trade for Jorge Lopez and the other guys in the uh, bullpen that have stepped up. So they did it. They've done it organically and, and through, uh, acquisition. And they, they look up, I think, and say, gosh, we just have to get to the seventh inning, the sixth or seventh inning, because, you know, we can close out a game now. And so they they want some starting pitching that will get them, you know, well into the sixth, if not uh, through six innings. And uh, so traded, felt like they could trade a rise to get a a really good starting pitcher from Miami. I'm excited about um, about that, about him being in the rotation. This outfield now, outfield defense, I think is the next logical extension to the fact that they – all of a sudden, we're emphasizing uh, pitching and, and uh, defense. Not that they ever didn't think that pitching and defense wins championships, but they didn't have enough pitching, and, and the defense wasn't uh, going to be up to the caliber, I think, um, in the outfield that, that they wanted for their, for their pitching staff, as you say. So um, I, I think it's, a, it's understandable why they're going – the way they are now that they've signed, and I should add, you know, signing Correa to that mix. So now with Correa and Polanco, I think they're and Buxton or Taylor, they're very strong up the middle. I think if Kirilov gets the first base job, now they're going to be better defensively there than uh, they were with the rise. Um, the outfield, the corner outfielders are going to be great. So it's a little bit different look in three years or four years since the, you know, the Bomba squad. And now all of a sudden it's uh, it's let's pitch and pitch it and catch it and uh, do the best we can to you know to score runs. Finally to that point, 
with Gallo and Kepler in the out, in the corner outfield. Uh, they need a big right-handed bat. I mean, that's the only. They need Correa to be great. They need uh, Miranda to take the next step. They need Polanco to you know get back to where he was, uh, especially right-handed. And they need DH, you know, a right-handed DH that uh, can do some damage. So, um, or a right-handed pinch hitter in case they want to they want to pinch hit, you know, for Gallo at some point in time again. Tough lefty, uh, you know that kind of thing. So there you have it. That's that's my thought about all that. Well, there is a right-handed hitter available if the Twins wanted to sign him. In fact, a scout for an American League East team called me yesterday and wanted some background and some makeup information on this right-handed hitter. His name is Miguel Sano. <laughs> Can you ha- can you imagine having can you imagine having Sano and Gallo in the same lineup? Oh my god. Oh, man, it would be nice breeze on a warm <laughs> afternoon game at Target Field when those guys start swinging and missing. Unbelievable. Yeah, I actually did get a call from a scout wanted. I guess their team is kind of looking at giving Sano a shot. So, um but what did yeah, you, yeah. you tell them, Lavelle? Come on, give us the scouting report. I, I told him that um he still has great power. He should be a better hitter than what he is, that he has trouble catching up to high velocity, and that he's cleaned up his act a little bit in recent years. And I thought that uh, being with Nelson Cruz for a couple years uh, rubbed off on him. I actually saw Miguel with a Bible in his hand a couple years ago while walking through the clubhouse. So um, I said, makeup-wise, I think he's gotten a little bit better. And there's there's potential there, but you still have to watch his weight, you know, and you got to figure out why he uh, anything in 95 and above he can't catch up to. You know, speaking of uh, Sano and Gallo in the same uh, paragraph here, um, it's interesting to me. It's uh, what could happen with guys if they're able to do it. And you guys know that for, I don't know, six years, I talked about wanting Sano to set up to hit the ball over the right center field fence and, you know, and, and, develop a swing that does that, a la Miguel Cabrera. I think he had – they certainly had the strength and I think also had the uh, talent uh, to do that. He just couldn't – he couldn't figure it out. He couldn't figure out how to how to change either his swing or even more importantly, I think, his his mental approach, his fear of ha- getting the ball thrown by him. And, and this is – it's the way that – it happens with guys. It, the the harder guys throwing, the more you think you have to get the bat head out in front, and so you you hurry to do that, and, and it slows your swing down, makes you vulnerable to off speed, all that kind of stuff we've talked about. I with thought, Gallo, oh, it's easy to see, you know, in really both Texas, but especially New York, a uh, left-handed hitter wants to pull the ball there, and you know, and should, but that's part of Gallo's problem. Two, he's a he's basically a low ball hitter, uh, wants to pull the ball, wants to hit it a long ways uh, to his pull field, but but I mean target field is is uh, in center around to left field. It's not too big for him. He is so strong, hit, can hit the ball so far uh, in any part of the ballpark. You know, so I, I have you know kind of mixed feelings about that. I look at that and say, man, take a look at this ballpark and a lot of ballparks around the game, and uh, Joey Gallo and set up to hit it over the center field fence uh, rather than right field. Um, 
it remains, you know, who knows whether, I mean, I think at this point in time, a guy probably is who he is. So mm-hmm. probably not going to happen. But I look at potential there, you know, for some home runs to left center, for example, in Target Field or other places where they, you know, went to die in Yankee Stadium. How many right-handed hitters have we seen shake their head flying out to like deep right center field? Um, Carlos Correa is not happy about how that's set up. Uh, that came up during his press conference. And <laughs> Royce said, you have a conversation with that right field wall about uh, letting some of your fly balls go over it. Um, um, but yeah, it's uh, a shot. And, and Roy, I thought that Miguel actually was hitting the ball hard up the middle and to a little bit to right center when he first came up. It like lasted like two or three weeks. And then they started busting him inside. And I thought he opened up his stance a little bit so he could get to pitches inside more. And he never changed back. You know, he never, he just stayed that way. And I, I don't know if that's stubbornness or just a fear of getting busted inside. But, uh, you know, he kind of pigeonholed himself into a, a tight, this free swinging strikeout prone monster that I just thought should be a little bit better hitter than what he was. Yeah, I, you're right about all that stuff. Uh, he he did. He was a much. It looked like a much more accomplished hitter. You know, his first few weeks or months in the in the big leagues than he than he became. Um, uh, and it's funny uh, about hitting and about hitters. Uh, guys, really, they really want to pull the ball. They want, if they're going to hit the ball out of the ballpark, it's like. Uh, it, they feel like they want the ball from the, you know, inside, just inside middle to the inside corner. They get the big end of the bat and they don't have to hit it as far, you know, to their, to their pull field as they do any, any place else. The, the problem with that is it gets you in all kinds of bad habits when you're that pull conscious and you're looking for the, you want the ball, you want the ball in there. And it's kind it's a, it's a real uh, contradiction, seeming contradiction because you have to hit the ball further out in front of you when it's you know middle end to, to the inside corner, so you're in a hurry to get the big end of the bat out you know out there. Uh, and uh, conversely, as the ball moves to, toward the outside, as it gets to middle to outside middle to the outside corner, you have more time uh, to get the big, big end of the bat to the ball. So what, what I what I learned in my career and, and, and late, it, you know, obviously it's, um, I, I could have done this better, but especially with, with two strikes. But what I learned, especially after my career and watching hitters and, you know, continuing to watch hitters, is if you, it's a better idea to me, uh, except in real cheat situations, 3-0, and 3-1, and you know, where, where you just want to sell out and get to the ball to your you hit the ball to your pull field, but if if you're having a little trouble with that, as as Sano did, he could never really get it through his mind or through his mechanics that he ought to just take the inside strike and just look for the ball from the middle mm-hmm. to the outside corner and stay in the middle of the diamond and then just react to what happens because you have more time to hit the fastball. And if you're trying to do that middle to opposite gap, then someone throws your breaking ball strike and it goes nine miles to your pull field. And it just automatic. It just is just what's hap- what happens. And the corollary to that is, okay, what's the downside of looking for the ball middle out? Well, I'm going to be vulnerable on that inside corner. How many pitchers have you seen, you guys, 
that can just paint the inside corner one fastball after another, and you just take three pitches and go sit down because you're looking for the ball out away from you. They can't do that. If they they may hit the inside corner once in a while, but but at least half the time it's either they miss over the plate or they miss inside for ball two or ball three. You know, what I mean, they're just so much better odds looking for the ball from the middle to the outside corner and staying in the middle of the field, especially if you're big and strong, than there is being so totally focused on, I got to catch up to that inside fastball. I, I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a contradiction. It's so backwards to me. Let's get into some more twin stuff. And we're also going to talk a little music today because we didn't get a chance to talk about some uh, major and sad developments uh, with Roy, but we first want to thank uh, Aquarius Home Services. We're coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio. Here's more about Aquarius Home Services. The holidays are over and we're all dreaming about spring. But at Aquarius Home Services, we know old man winter isn't done with us yet. Remember last year? We had snow in April. That's why at Aquarius, we're offering $98 off any furnace repair. With your safety and comfort as our top priority, we'll treat your home in time with respect. We'll provide options that make sense with upfront, no surprise pricing. We're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. Aquarius, earning the right to be recommended. Also reminds me, Roy, I mean, you have a longer, deeper history uh, with the game than I do, of course, but the only uh, hitter I ever saw that opposing teams went into the dugout to watch take batting practice, who was not a power hitter trying to hit the ball eight miles to his pole field, was Molitor. Uh, He was the only guy who people would come out to the dugout to watch hit singles to the opposite field. You know who else was like that? And that's right. Molly was, he was phenomenal. And, and, uh, you know, he has said, um, uh, at least to me, but I, I think this is, this is public. He, he had, uh, he said this to other people. He has said, it didn't take me long. When I got to the big leagues that, you know, I, was how, I figured out, I got to learn how to hit a curveball. <laughs> you know, breaking, breaking stuff. And, uh, you know, his going to right field with fastballs is exactly what I'm talking about. It, it enabled him to, you know, to hit breaking balls. And then he's such, he's such a smart guy later on. He just set up pitches and, you know, start looking for breaking balls and hitting them, you know, to his pull field because he was sitting on them. Uh, you know, the other guy was like that, that I would go out and watch uh, take batting practice is John Olerud. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, he, I watched, I stood behind a cage one time in the Metrodome and he wasn't way off the plate, just kind of normal stance. And there was no ball that went, uh, to uh, the foul line side of straightaway left or straightaway right. It, well, you talk about gap to gap, even inside pitches. They went to the right to left hand hitter, of course. Inside pitch on the inside corner went to right center, not down the right field line. I mean, he was so dialed in on letting the ball travel and figuring out how to get, a la Luis Arise, how to get the big end of the bat on the ball you know, on a good fastball, waiting, you know, waiting a long time. That, you know, means keeping the, your hands inside the ball, all, all that stuff that you hear people, you know, hitters talk about. But what that means is you get, you square up the, the big end of the bat early coming through the zone and you can hit inside pitches, you know, kind of inside out and hit and hit them hard. And, and older route had, you know, he hit batting title type of guy and, 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 could drive in a hundred runs and hit, hit enough home runs to make it really worth it. 
So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, that's they, all the good hitters, all the really good hitters aren't a whole lot different than that in some way. So if the twins need another right-handed bat, could Kyle, Kyle Garlick end up being that guy? Lavelle, let's go with you first today. I think the, what we've seen of garlic has been encouraging. Um, the guy wails on left-handed pitching and that's, uh, something that the twins don't have a lot of right now, especially, you know, being able to come off the bench. Um, they know him from the last year or two. Um, they also know that he has broken down over the last year or two. And so, you know, so I don't know if, um, they're willing to roll with him and see if he can stay healthy for a year and, and be a force or, you know, continue to look outside. I've seen Luke Voigt's name pop up in rumors that the twins should go after him. I don't know if they're really that interested in Luke Voigt, but, uh, you know, that's what's out there. Uh, I think they should stick with garlic uh, because he um, um, he has shown the ability to to hit lefties, and he's already in-house. And um, now he can play a little outfield. It's, not, it's too bad he can't play first base. So my other concern about the, you know, the whole outfield alignment, too, is that it may get blown out of the water here because um, Kirilov says his, his wrist is still sore a little bit, and hopefully he can work that out there in spring training. But uh, if he can't, if he needs time, then they're probably going to play Gallo at first, and that you know we can see outfield defense. I, I know they don't want to do that, but they may have to. But I would take when uh, in that scenario, then Garland could play in left field against left-handed pitchers, though. So <laughs> um, I'd say go with Garlic, man. You got him in house. You know him well. You know his smell, uh, and just go and just roll with him. What do you think? Uh, what do you think, Roy? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good option. Um, it, he worried me a little bit down the stretch. He, you know, he tore up left-handers the, the first half to maybe two thirds of the year, and then and then wasn't the same. That you know, the the last third or half, whatever, uh, against left-handers, and and uh, all of a sudden, you know, things changed. He was swinging at high fastballs and swinging and missing high fastballs, and uh, you know, it, it, he wasn't at the um, the seemingly accomplished hitter against left-handers at the last you know month and a half or so of the season, two months of the season. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think he's a big league hitter against left-handers. And I, I just, <clears throat> I look at, you know, the left-handed hitters that they have and the right-handed hitters that they have. And I look at other lineups and, and see the balance between left and right. And for the most part, I think that the contending teams have a have a designated hitter, whether it's right or left. It's it's it completes the you know the, a really good offense, and it, you know that's what happened when the Twins got Nelson Cruz, and as I said <laughs> five years ago, when when he hangs it up. Uh, or is no longer with the twins. The twins are going to be searching for that guy, and I think they still are. So that's that's just in my in my head about. I think garlic's fine. I think especially if Kirloff doesn't uh, isn't able to play right away, then Gallo goes to first, and it's a Larnick and garlic platoon maybe in left field, uh, which is fine. I mean, but it just means that you know uh, still. I mean, there are questions of. About Miranda, okay, where is he? Is he? Does he take the next step, or did we see what we were going to see? And there are questions about Polanco. I mean, was it injury, or why was he so un-Polanco-like? And what about Kepler, and what about 
Larnick and you know what about Garnick? You don't really know. So I think the defense is going to be good. I think the pitching is going to is going to be pretty good. And now it's just okay. How do you cobble together uh, enough runs on a day in day out basis? And by the way, Luke Voigt, um, he hasn't had a good year since like 2018, I think. Last right. year's last year's OPS against left-handed pitching. 569, his slugging percentage against left-handed pitching, 271, unless uh, there's an, some deep explanation for that that can be easily solved. He is not the answer. Garlic. Give me garlic. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, you know, and as I said, you know, there's, there's a reason Kyle Garlic is not a, you know, major league starter. Uh, and, you know, you can't just assume that he's going to have a good year, but at least he's shown some some life from that side. And also the other big part, well, it, and we're we're going to try not to use the phrase "if healthy" uh, every five seconds on this show, even though it's the key to the joint season. But you know, if healthy and Buxton and Polanco and Correa and Miranda are in the lineup and doing the job, then you, you do have some balance. You no question about that. I mean, if the answer to all those ifs that I throw out there, all those question marks, if the answer is those four guys stay healthy all year and have big years. Man, it's going to be an awful lot of fun around Target Target Field. Yeah, absolutely. Can we cross and our fingers on that one? What is the level of concern about Karloff still having some wrist soreness? I'm concerned because he's had what, surgical procedures two consecutive years now, right? And mm-hmm. he's been trying to come back from uh, his second one now. I um, uh, So, you know, when I found out during Twins Fest that there was still some soreness there, I was like, oh, no. You know, because... It, it slowed him down. If you remember, you know, last year there's a point there where the twins thought that, you know, Kirilov is um, fretting too much about his wrist and he should play through it and and fight through it, and he wasn't doing that. So they were kind of scratching their heads about you know how much progress he was making from this injury. Then uh, having a, another procedure now, I thought everything was going to be fine. So I was kind of blindsided by that news at Twins Fest, and so I. Um, I would be my concern level on a one to 10 scale would be a seven, which I think is solidly concerned uh, about uh, his ability to be ready at, at at the beginning of spring training. And now I'm wondering, will he be able to, you know, swing pain three for most of the season? Yeah, Lavelle, my concern level might be eight or nine. I mean, I, I agree. I'm, I'm uh, maybe even more concerned than you are. I think infield defense is better if he's there. Uh, outfield defense is better if he's there. Um, and, uh, as much as he struggled and, you know, that we saw him struggle and all that, there's a, there's a hitter there, uh, as well. And, um, yes, and I think everything about that, I mean, my, uh, liking the arise trade, uh, was predicated on the fact that I really liked the pitcher that they got and they needed a starting pitcher of that, of that caliber. But mm-hmm. I also felt like that Kirilov was going to be, uh, a real solid first baseman in, in that lineup, both offensively and defensively. And, and if he can't play, then it changes, it, it changes the, the makeup quite a bit, in my opinion. No doubt about it. Hey, next week I will be in spring training. By the time we talk again, I will have had some time in the clubhouse uh, to bring you some reports from down there. For today, uh, once again, from the Aquarius Home Services studio, I'd like to transition to some music. Uh, Russo Slacks posted a, a, a clip of Bonnie Raitt. Uh, Bonnie Raitt just won another Grammy. She won a Grammy at the age of whatever it is, 73. A reminder that so many of these great artists uh, just 
they're just as good today as they ever were. Bonnie Raitt, one of the great singers, one of the great slide players of all time. Also, I think since the last time we spoke, Roy, I did. I think Jeff Beck has passed since we last spoke. Yes, um, and spent man another great Strat player. Um, you know, one of the probably the most creative of all the great guitar players. You can tell about a guy. I mean, even though I'm not, you know, I'm not a musician. I'm just a. I'm just an avid, avid listener, and uh, you know, to a lot of different kinds of things. And you know, the 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 longevity of his career, and within that longevity, the creativity that you mentioned, but it, it is evidenced by by his playing, obviously, but also by the the number, the different kinds of uh, people that he played with, and the different genres of music that he brought. Jeff Beck guitar to, um, not not a whole lot of guys uh, that I can think of um, have have done anywhere close to the the variety of, of, of music genres that he was able to you know be a, a, a guitar force in with and people wanted him you know people of all genres they were excited excited to play with you know uh, you know for him to play with them so. Yeah, rest in peace, Jeff Beck. One of the you know one of the greats of all time for sure. No doubt about it. And yep. uh, and I think <clears throat> Bonnie Raitt uh, is probably Jeff Beck is probably underrated because he didn't always play on hits. You know, you had to search him out. Uh, Bonnie Raitt is a, you know, she's had her hits, but I, I think I can't remember who it was. Somebody during the Grammys said uh, you know basically kind of called her like an undiscovered blues singer or something like that. Bonnie Raitt has been great for so long. And yeah. she was, you know, David Crosby passed recently. He always said she was his favorite singer as well. Wow. Well, I just want to point out, you know, Jeff Beck uh, listened to Freeway Jam for the first time was uh, a great moment for my, in my listening. When, uh, when was that Lavelle? Was that, was that recently? Uh, a few years ago. Oh, had to man. be a few years ago. It was a great song, man. Um, yeah. But he's so talented. He was one of the greatest living uh, living guitarists. I got to update my list of top five now. I got to work on that for next week, maybe. Who would replace Jeff Beck in my top five? I don't know. We also lost Burt Backrack. I know he's not a musician or a singer. Great songwriter, a, though. Yeah, he was as a composer. He was brilliant and and wrote. He was like the Magic Johnson of of songwriters. He gave out assists to so many different singers, you know, oh, through man. the years. Ian Warwick, uh, Aretha Franklin, they all like did his songs and doing them with a plum. Um, Pay LaBelle, Michael McDonald, the uh, On My Own duet, you know, that was him too. He had such a long run of, um, of, of music. And some people ripped him for his songs being too simplistic. I thought that made them easier to sing. I think people like singing Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head or I'm Never Gonna Fall in Love Again or or things are um, so, you know, I, I would say that some of the, you know, his later. Uh, hits, you know, were were like that. You know, he did the uh, the Arthur soundtrack. You know, when you get caught between the moon and New York City, New York City. Little, yep. you know, kind of sappier kind of stuff. But I will tell you, speaking of being difficult to sing or easy to sing, mm -hmm. and, and as opposed to when he and Hal David got together with Dion Warwick in the '60s, it was like a match made in music heaven because Hal David wrote these lyrics. And Burt Bacharach put these, you know, the really tough to sing in many cases uh, music to the lyrics. 
And it, I kind of felt at the time, and I still have been listening to it a lot lately. I, I, I still feel like Dionne Warwick might have been the only woman, the only singer um, that could have sung the notes that she had to sing, the way Backrack put together. Uh, and I'm not just talking about Do You Know Your Way to San Jose, although that's an example of it. But, but you know, there are so many things like Anyone Who Had a Heart, unbelievable song. And Walk On By, unbelievable song. And the, and the notes she had to hit with the strength that she hit them was incredible. I just think those three people as a, as a group um, incredible, incredible performances, writing and singing. Here's the other thing too. Don't begrudge anybody their hits. Okay. There are a lot of great artists out there who do right. incredibly complex and, you know, even experimental stuff. And every once in a while, you know, they go, you know what? I got to pay some bills. I'm going to write a hit. Uh, <laughs> we're all going to enjoy it. My employers <laughs> are going to enjoy it. The ar artists I give it to are going to enjoy it. I'm going to make some money. And that's going to fund me being able to do the other stuff I want to do. That's why I think Everybody, you know what? The Beatles did incredibly complex musical stuff, uh, stuff that scientists still study. Uh, and so did every other great artist, you know, of that era. And you know what? They also wrote, I want to hold your hand and it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I think you're, I think you're right. What you're right. Uh, you throw it out there. And if people like it, you know, you, you write some more of that stuff because people like it. And then you write things that you like. And, and I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more, but with, with Bacharach, I mean, you, if you look up his anthology of stuff, you know, from the, from the, when he burst on the scene and until, uh, you know, almost till he died. I mean, there's this, I was, uh, walking through, uh, the kitchen this morning. My wife had uh, good morning, nah, no, one of those morning shows and, um, uh, on TV. And they, they did kind of a montage of songs that he, that he wrote. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I forgot he wrote that or was mm -hmm. holy mm -hmm. crap. I didn't know he wrote that. It's amazing. You go, no way. There's no way that he could write walk on by. And then, you know, uh, the, uh, the other really popular stuff that everybody knows that, you know, Oh, that was Burke Bacharach. Pretty, pretty fascinating. I mean, incredible stuff. And walk on by was a B single. It was a B side song. It wasn't even the main song in the record. That's a, is that right? I, don't, I yeah, didn't remember. I, I was just reading this the other day. Like some DJ, well, yesterday, some DJ in New York listened to Walk On By and liked it and started pumping it, and it it, it, it ended up being a hit. Wow. It's amazing how much influence DJs used to have on the popularity of records. If they didn't play you, you're dead. If they played you, you, and some people were like big in some cities and not in other cities because they had a friendly DJ in one city. Right, 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 right. Good point, good point. That's the way it was. Back in the day. All right, gentlemen. Uh, good stuff. I appreciate the music talk. I'll be in Fort Myers next week. I'll talk to you from there. We'll, uh, I'll bring you some sights and sounds, and, and you guys can uh, break down everything that's going on with the Minnesota Twins. Once again, thanks to everyone who listens. Thanks to our producer, Brandon Morton. Check out TalkNorth.com for all of the other shows, and we'll talk to you soon.